0: Morning, Uh, you would have noticed in your Blue Church Bibles that we use, if you have one there, that um, the editors editors of that translation, they put in not just um, verses and chapters, small and big numbers that we use to navigate the text, but also these little subheadings in bold that sort of pepper every chapter. And they're mostly useful. Um, They're they're more like editor's notes than what's actually in the original text, but they are meant to structure for you discreet units of thought and, and and different stories that help you navigate your way through so if you look at the start of chapter 15 you see there uh, it's the story of the parable of the lost sheep um, and a bit further down um, you get the parable of the lost coin from verses 8 to 10 and these headings there um yeah like i say, they're more like editor's notes someone's gone through and tried to break up the text and and tell you what they think it's about mostly helpful but not always. Uh, this third story in Luke 15, for example, is titled in our, in our Bibles, most of them, as uh, the parable of the lost son. Or you might know this story as uh, the parable of the prodigal son. I had to look up what the word prodigal means. Um, I've heard the word before. I didn't really... I never used it. Uh, apparently, prodigal is a describing word for when someone... Um, spends a whole lot of money recklessly. So you're dropping cash everywhere and you're just going on a spree, um, spoiling, generous, lavish prodigal. Uh, you could, for example, have a prodigal amount of tea, uh, sugar in your tea. Or you could do a, lot of, uh, a prodigal pavlova with lots and lots of cream on it. Or your, your Christmas dinner might be a prodigal event. If I was the person doing subheadings for the Bible, I don't think I would have called this story the parable of the prodigal son, or even the lost son. Because this son, as you look through this story and his spending habits, that's only really the start of the story. And there's just as much in there about his repentance and him turning around. And what this story, I think, is actually about is, I think, this incredible father and this rather interesting older brother. That's where the story gets interesting. Uh, but to begin with, uh, we, we start with this soon-to-be-lost son. Jesus tells this parable in verse 11. Uh, Luke 15, 11. Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate which would be a perfectly reasonable request if the father was dead. Uh, the man has two sons, and even now, the way we normally do inheritance, uh, we, we split up the assets among any surviving family members who you want to provide for, or not to mention uh, if you have other bequests and people in your will who you want to uh, support. But this younger son says, Dad, Whatever share of everything you own and all the money that I have coming to me when you die, I want that share now. Thank you. It like asking your parents to sell the family home that they're still living in uh, and cash in their investments and all their assets so that you can take your cut. Now, you better have a pretty good reason for needing all that money. Maybe there is some Uh, life-saving medical procedure that's really expensive, that you urgently need. Or maybe uh, sometimes you hear some people have amazing business ideas and and they need a little bit of uh, money to get it off the ground and they ask their family to, to help. Sure. But this boy? No. He just wants the money to party. He didn't have a good excuse. He couldn't wait for his father to drop dead so he can get his hands on the inheritance. Where does this son think he belongs? I think he thinks he belongs where the action is, with the party people. He's sick of the boring, sheltered life at home with his dad and his other brother. He wants to get out there and to start living it up. And maybe some of that resonates with you. Maybe uh, you yourself have been growing up in a Christian family your whole life. You've always been a part of church. You always felt like you had to do the right thing. And there's that familiar temptation to just throw it all in, to break free of the shackles and to just indulge in all these desires that you have and you you feel are unmet. Maybe you can identify with this kid. So, verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And you'd expect a reasonable father at this point to tell him he's dreaming. Slap him upside the head and tell him to get back to work. But no, this father does what the son asks, divides up his property and gives a share to his son who bolts. Actually, you see that in the next verse, verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. He has what he wants. He has uh, his cut of his his dad's everything, and he goes somewhere far, far away, presumably where where no one knows him, and he can do anything that he wants to because no one's there to stop him. And he has the means. And he blows everything, we're told. On booze and women, and getting himself anything and everything he desires with these assets that he's taken from his dad, until he has nothing left. He spent all of his father's hard-earned lifetime of savings. He spent it all. There's nothing left in the tank, and he's all alone. And the country he's in goes into famine, and is in trouble. Verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's hit rock bottom, to the sensibilities of the Jewish readers, that Jesus would have been... Uh, telling the story too, there's not much lower you can get. A Jewish man becoming a bonded slave to a foreigner, feeding pigs of all things. And he's so hungry, he's thinking about, he's thinking about eating the slop that he's feeding to these pigs. But even that's not allowed because his boss doesn't want him wasting the pig food. This is the bottom of the barrel. And in his brokenness, reality sets in. And so even he can see that he's made some pretty dumb choices in his life. He gets thinking. Verse 17. uh, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he doesn't even dare to think about um, the possibility of coming back into the family with a status as a son. That's not even in his mind. He knows he's gone too far already. to, To dare to ask his father that, to even come to dad in the first place is a pretty big step. And what's more, he knows all the stupid and shameful things he's done since he's left home. And maybe maybe he feels like maybe he's just gone too far. He's too far gone. Have you, you ever felt like that before in your, in your walk? That you're too far gone? And you feel the weight of your own sinful choices and you feel uh, all sorts of depravity in your heart. Uh, things are just so dark and so stained that the damages have been done. The ugly words have been said that shouldn't have been said but they're out already and you can't take them back or something that you've done can't be undone. You can't change the past. And Maybe you're too far gone. Maybe all you can do is accept the consequences of your actions and make the most of a bad situation. Uh, see, this man says he doesn't think there's any way he'll be accepted back into the family after what is done to them after he's dishonored them and shamed them and wronged them. What he remembers though is that his dad is a good man, even good to his servants back home. And so maybe, just maybe, he could go back and ask for a job as a slave. That's where he finds himself anyway. He's working for somebody as a a slave. At least if he goes home, maybe he'll be back in a a familiar country and maybe he'll be getting some food to eat. Because he remembers his father's servants were well-fed. Right now, he's starving. So he makes his plan. You see that in verse 18. I'll go back and, and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He even has those lines that he rehearses, an apology, an omission of guilt, and a plea for mercy. I don't think they're just cheap words. I think he means what he's saying. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. If you please just make me like one of your hired servants so I can come back? That's what he's going to say to his dad. So having determined uh, what he's going to say, and he goes up, verse 20, and, and He urged to find his father. And you can appreciate it. It's it's a long and anxious walk home. I don't know if you've been there in that conversation where it's your turn to say sorry to somebody uh, for something hurtful that you've done. And even before that conversation, not even in the conversation, before the conversation happens, you lose sleep, don't you? Because when you've done something wrong and you're about to say sorry you've got to think really carefully about what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, and you're worried about uh, what the other person, the person you've wronged, how are they going to take it? Are they going to accept it at all? Are they going to just shut you down before you even get a chance? Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, the boy still got his apology and his request to make. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The son, if you notice, doesn't even get a chance to finish his apology. He gets about halfway before dad cuts him off, doesn't he? Before he gets that far through what he planned to say, the father's already getting the servants to come bring in some clothes. He sees that the boy's probably in a pretty bad shape, filthy, maybe didn't have... It seems like he didn't even have shoes by this stage coming home. He's a wreck. And this father who recognizes him from a distance, which means the father's been looking for him, from a distance, on the lookout, watching and waiting for the day that maybe his son would come home. Who knows how many days this father's been watching and waiting and scanning that horizon for the familiar shape of his son. And how many days ended in disappointment and grief when he doesn't show up. Until this day when there he is. And this father sees him, and the father runs, which is not normally the done thing for an esteemed gentleman to do in that culture, but the father couldn't care less. He runs, because this is his boy, and he's come home. And as far as dad's concerned, this is where the boy belongs. So he wraps him in his arms, kisses him, barely hears half a confession before declaring, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. We must celebrate. Has he forgotten what this rat bag of a son did to him? That's what the older brother wants to know. Uh, The older brother certainly hasn't forgotten. Verse 25. uh, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music. And dancing, and he called to one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Where does this older brother think his, his brother belongs? Not here. Not in the family, not after what he's done. And now, it seems it's the older brother's turn to reject his father. Outwardly, this older one was following all the rules. But he never got it, did he? You can tell by the way he talks to his father. All these years I've slaved for you, he says. As if that's what really matters. Oh yeah, he obeyed, but that obedience was a kind of slavery to earn favor. And so it seems both these sons had one thing in common. They both thought, you earn your way into sonship. You can earn it by doing good, or you can blow it by being bad. Law, not love. It's how so many misguided people relate, relate to God. By law, not love. But he doesn't understand. You're treated as a child of the Father because of his love, which he sets on you. If it's on us and our performance, I don't think we get very far before we topple. If you look into our hearts and to our thoughts, those parts of us that we don't show anybody, all of us have skeletons in our closet and things that are to our shame. Now, it might be true that you might have relatively less mess in your life than someone else. That could be true, but don't let that make you feel self-righteous. That's a trap. Our being in the family of God has everything to do with his generosity and very, very little to do with our own righteousness, no matter who we are or what we've done. You're not consistently good enough to get in on your own and you can't be too far gone to be disqualified. Whatever you've become, Whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. God is the one who wants us to please just come home, would you? And find forgiveness and your place in his family. Now, of course our sin matters. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he died, to pay for your sin and for mine. But now that that's done, there's nothing in the way anymore because he's already dealt with it except maybe... What's in the way maybe our own pride? Would you put that away? Would you Would you come home? Find forgiveness in your place in the family of God. Now, who is this parable for? Why did Jesus tell this story? It speaks volumes, I think, about what God the Father is like. I think that's the main thing, but it also addresses us whoever we are, whether we're the younger brother who needs to know that there is forgiveness. No matter how far gone we feel, there is forgiveness. Or whether we're the older brother who God wishes would share more of his heart, more of his concern for the lost. God loves it when those who are lost come home. Whether they're the working class of Taiwan, or whether the culturally Muslim ones in Central Asia bent backwards over a system of corruption, whether they're uh, university students in our university campuses here in Sydney, or suburban mums and dads sitting in air-conditioned Cherrybrook this morning. All of us who've treated him as if he was dead to us, all of us who use his gifts to further our own ends without him, we who get ourselves bruised and, and broken and who end up hungry and alone. God longs for us to come home. And he wants us religious types to understand and not to be resentful, but to, and not to consider other people as an inconvenience and think about all the work that is required. He wants us to grow in our eagerness and to our joy over our lost brothers and sisters coming home. What he wants... Uh, look, at the start of the chapter 15, we read this. This is the reason for the parable. Uh, now, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Sinners and tax collectors. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them these parables, including this last one that we have just here. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were too much like the older brother in our parable. Self-righteous and more than a little bit indignant that Jesus would welcome sinful people. What he wants to make clear to them and to us, I think, is that the family of God isn't made up of perfect people. It's made up of people who are forgiven and who know the love of the Father. The main game, the desire and the joy of the Father is that the sinful people would come to Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, offering forgiveness to both the sinful and the self-righteous because God is the father of us all. And if you notice in the parable that the father isn't angry with either of his sons. He doesn't talk about his great disappointment at them for not understanding him. He doesn't berate them for how much it's cost him. He goes out to the older brother who's sulking. He is the one who runs out onto the road to meet his younger brother, this younger son. He wants both of them to be with him, to understand and to join him in celebrating. God wants us to celebrate repentance and people being found, people being welcomed home. And we could, I think, probably do a better job of that ourselves than we currently do. Let me give you an example. Um, I know a pastor who... Uh, encourages the parents in his congregation to not just celebrate their children's birthdays, but on top of that, for those with kids who've become Christians, uh, I've heard this pastor encouraging parents to write down the date that their kid first makes a commitment to follow Jesus. And every year to celebrate that day in just a bigger way, if not bigger than a birthday. Because it's a big deal finding forgiveness in God. It's a bit tricky for those of us who, you know, you don't know the exact date and time that you became a Christian because it might have been more of a gradual process, but maybe in that case you celebrate the day you got baptized or you pick a certain day and you commemorate that. Now, speaking of um, baptisms and and birthdays, we have a couple of people in our church who have already told me they'd like to be baptized in the very near future. We've got it scheduled at the moment for the last Sunday in February, 24th of Feb. one of those people is Danielle, and she chose the 24th of Feb because it's actually also her birthday. <laughs> and it just felt right. And I think I agree with her. It's something to remember and to get excited about. Even as a church, I know we baptize people all the time, every year, but every time, every year, it's significant, isn't it? We've got, we've got a month from here to get ready and to get excited and to really celebrate people coming to faith, people committing their lives to Jesus. So if you'd like to join those uh, two that already told me they'd like to be baptized, if you're someone who's following Jesus already but you haven't been baptized, then just let me know between now and then and we can make that happen. Also, please don't let yourself get inoculated against the wonder of people coming to repentance and new life in Jesus. Don't let that ever become old hat. I'm guilty of it myself. Just yesterday, I was reading this uh, newsletter from the missions committee that they passed on to me from one of our partners. Uh, One of the Christian ministry workers that we fund in Mongolia, Um, so you may be aware you you pay for John and me to be pastors here, but also we have a worker in Mongolia who's much cheaper than me, uh, doing great work actually. His name is Pagma, and his yearly wages are nothing compared to what you guys have to fork out for me. But... He works in an organization called VetNet, Uh, and he writes excerpts, he sends updates every so often, and this is the first paragraph of his letter that I read last night. Uh, Let me read it for you. Pagma writes in his not great English, but it's not bad. Dear Pennant Hills Baptist Church, I want to greet to all of you Happy New Year. Uh, We are thankful for our brothers and sisters who support our ministry. Before the new year, we discussed about what we have done throughout our ministry in 2018. A total of over 10,000 students and adults attended our trainings. Many of them heard the good news, and we know of 416 of them who accepted Christ. Praise the Lord. And the letter continues detailing the other work they got up to, and I just remember skimming over the details, reading the update fairly quickly, and then closing my email to check the cricket. It only occurred to me five minutes after that that, wait a second, PAGMA had just written That because of our gospel partnership with him, the good news of Jesus had gone out clearly to over 10,000 people and that 416 of them known to PAGMA have now found forgiveness and new life in Jesus. 416. That's more people than we can probably fit on the chairs in this room. Each one of those 416 people having a name and a story and a family in a community, each one of them starting 2018, Lost and without God in the world and starting twenty nineteen haven't been found. Each one of them celebrated by my heavenly father. Who's gone and done in them what he's done in me. And I was interested in what Pat Cummins got up to. No. So I opened up my email again and I reread that amazing paragraph and, and looked at that letter a bit more closely and I took a moment to pray and to praise God for this great news, for his wonderful grace. I can't believe I almost completely skipped over and failed to rejoice. Because what is more significant? What is more real? And what is more positively transformative than that? Sure, 10 wicket hall, good stuff. Australia finally won something in sport again, good. Good. But no, I've got to learn to tune into what gets God excited. Tune into the same frequency as Him to grieve what He grieves, to celebrate what He celebrates. Because He's doing great things. I don't want to miss it. Amen.